Today is the last Sunday in a series that I've entitled, What's in a Name? We have looked at a number of names of God from the Old Testament. We've also, this past week, this past Sunday, we saw uh, the name Jesus in the New Testament and who he is. And this morning, I want us to spend a few moments looking at the name Christ. It's more of a title than a name. I will give you that. But as an eight, nine, ten year old, I remember reading and sitting in Sunday school or reading and they would say something to the effect of Jesus Christ. And I just thought that was his last name. This is how it rolled. And that's what we went with. But that's not his last name. It is a title of Jesus. In the Old Testament, that name in Hebrew is Messiah. In the New Testament, it is Christos or it is Christ. It means the anointed one, the Savior. And this morning, I want us to spend some time looking at that name. But not only do we find ourselves this morning at the end of a sermon series, we find ourselves at the end of a year. Moving forward into a new year, come this week. Danny Aiken, the pastor, excuse me, the uh, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary stated this, if you want to draw a crowd at church, have a sermon on one of two things. Have a sermon either on sex or have a sermon on the end times and you will draw a crowd. I would add to that, have a gospel singing and you will draw a crowd. So there's three things. But then he states this, if you want to draw a big crowd, speak on sex in the end times. Then you have a big crowd. This morning, we're not going to speak on sex other than what was just stated. But we are going to speak on the end times because that is where we find the Christ. The Christ. Where is he at this moment? What is he doing now and what is he doing for all time? If you have a copy of God's Word, we are going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 16. And we will work our way to Revelation chapter 21. Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 we find a discussion, a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and his followers, as they are about to go into a city called Caesarea Philippi. So two points this morning. The first is this. The focus of this conversation is for all to know who he is. The focus of this conversation that is happening in Matthew's gospel between Jesus and his disciples is so that all would know who he is. Listen to these words as Matthew records it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some 
say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this moment, as our focus is looking at the Christ, God, would you allow whatever distractions there are in our lives just to stop, just to pause, so that our attention would be on you. You have done so much. We, We have celebrated your son coming. So thankful that it's not just about getting him here that you came. You sent him. But about what you did here, Jesus. Why you came. May we focus on who you are right now. And who you will be forever and ever. God, I pray that it would change how we live today, how how I live this week because I see you as you are right now. Father, I pray that you would meet with us, that you would speak through this word, your word, and draw us close to you in Christ's name. Amen. The focus of this conversation that Jesus is having with his followers is for all to know who he is. Before you and I can get to that end of this conversation and understanding who Jesus is, may we not just step over the beginning of this conversation. The beginning of this passage in Matthew's gospel there in chapter 16 is this. Now... When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, the setting of this situation does not need to be overlooked by any of us this morning. For us to understand the magnitude of the moment, the reason that Jesus even begins the conversation is because of where they are. You're like, I've never heard of Caesarea Philippi. May never go to Caesarea Philippi. Okay, but you still need to understand the context of the conversation. Caesarea Philippi was a city in the northern part of Israel. It's at the the base, so to speak, on the south side of Mount Hermon, one of the major mountains in Israel. And it was created, Caesarea Philippi was created by Julius Caesar so that everyone there would worship him. You know, today we have cities in our nation, maybe even regions of our nation that are known for things. Maybe they're they're business hubs or they're tech hubs. And, And we're known for things. And this city was known. It was known for a place of 
luxury. It was known for a play as a place of, of rest. It was known as a getaway spot. And that's exactly one of the reasons why they're going there. But everyone there, if you walk the streets of Caesarea Philippi, you would see the face of Julius Caesar because this one, Caesar, placed it here, Caesarea Philippi, so everyone would know him in his life, would worship him in his life, and would know and worship him even after he passed. And as they're walking in, Jesus starts a conversation. Who do people say that I am? Two questions he asked these disciples. Who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? In these two questions that Jesus asked, we need to pay close attention to both of them. Don't overlook the first just to get to the second, even though I believe the second is more important for us. But don't just overlook the first. The first question asked in our day, so what's the word on the street about me? What do people think about me that you come in contact with? Sir, in the office place, in the group of people that you are around on a weekly basis, a daily basis, ma'am, those that are friends of yours, those that are acquaintances of yours, students, those who are classmates of yours. What do people say about Jesus? Easy question? Maybe. Maybe not. Let me ask you a question. If that question is asked, and it was asked by Jesus to his disciples, how could they answer that question correctly? What did they have to be in? What did they have to do to be able to answer that question correctly? They had to be in conversations, spiritual conversations, with those people that they come in contact with. They had to be hearing, they had to be talking, they had to be asking those that they came in contact with on a regular basis. Those that they stood in line with at the mart. Those that they were standing in line with as they were going into the temple. Those that they were reading articles about in the daily newspaper. They had to know the people. Question for us today. What's the word on the street in Hernando about Jesus? What's the word in your business about Jesus? What's the word in your neighborhood about Jesus? What's the word in our culture about Jesus? 
If Jesus were to ask us these questions, this question, how could we answer it? When was the last time that you and I had a spiritual conversation with someone in the public arena to see what they would say about Jesus? I've told you this before, but one of the reasons that I do funerals for those that don't have pastors is so that I can get into conversations about Jesus. This past week, I did a funeral for an individual, and I asked the question, so what do you believe about Jesus to a wife who was hurting? The words that I speak at that moment from that conversation and from that service are all to tell them about Jesus. The words that you and I have in conversations with others speaking of spiritual matters are all the same that Jesus is trying to get across this point for us today. The point is this. The conversation is to focus everyone on who he is. So you and I, as we finish out this year and we look forward to 2019, may we have more conversations with those that we come in contact with about Jesus. May we be able to answer the question if he were to ask us, hey, what do people say about me? Who do they think that I am? Some say John the Baptist. He was a great guy. Others say that you are a prophet who has come back like Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Do you see in that context there in verse 14, Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong. He doesn't even, doesn't even acknowledge it. But he moves on to the pressing question. And may it come closer to you and to me as well. So the first question, what do people say that the Son of Man is? Second question, more pointed toward you and toward me. Who do you say that I am? If I were to section us off in these three sections and say, all right, I want you to spend just a few moments. You gather in a group and you gather in a group, you gather in a group and y'all answer this question. Y'all come together as a collective group and answer this question. Who is Jesus? We would probably all three of the sections come with something similar. We we probably would. For those of us who have sat in a church, growing up in a church, for those of us who have read this once, twice, numerous times, gone through it a number of different times through our lives. But don't miss the magnitude of the moment. Jesus asked 12 men who have been living with him, who have been walking with him, who have said, hey, you are our rabbi, you are our teacher, we are your followers. 
And Jesus asked a pointed question. Who do you say that I am? And don't we love Simon Peter? So often when Simon Peter opens his mouth, he inserts his foot. And the only time that he doesn't have his right foot in his mouth is when he has moved to his left foot and chews on it for a while. But in this moment, Simon opens his mouth and he replies, almost there's no space between the question and the answer. Immediately, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hit the nail on the head. Who do you say that I am, disciples? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Just rolls right off his tongue. If we unpack that for just a brief second. You, Jesus, are the Christ. I stated to you in the introduction what the term Christ means. The Christ is the anointed one. This term... In the Old Testament, as I stated, is anointed one or Messiah. It's how it's translated. And 20 plus times, 20 plus times in the Old Testament, this term for Christ or anointed one is spoken of a king. 20 different kings in the Old Testament, all anointed ones. Not of the same magnitude of this Christ, Jesus, but this anointed one is there. You are the Christ. And then to take it and bump it up one more notch, the Son of the living God. If you were to turn over to Acts and look in Acts chapter 4, Peter is speaking. He's like, there's no other name. There's no other name under heaven whereby men must call upon to be saved than Christ. You look in 1 Peter chapter 2, and he is the one that is writing the epistle who says, you, sir, ma'am, we, us, we must know who this man is, and we must be able to give an account of what we believe. Be ready. How can you and I answer this question correctly? The question is, who do we say that Jesus is? How do we know? He's given us his letter. 66 books from Genesis all the way through Revelation point toward him. Point forward toward him. Point backwards at him. Point out into the future of things that he is going to be doing or Places that he is going to be are what he is, who he is, all point to Jesus, the Christ. So what do we do when we hear these words of questions? Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
in 2018 as we close the book on it, so to speak. In 2019 as we open the chapter or of the book. What does it mean for us? I wrote down a couple of things. First, I believe that these two questions challenge us here. They challenge us in a couple of ways. One, for us to have, for us to be in, for us to leverage the connections, the relationships, the acquaintances that we have for spiritual conversations. The reasons that you have the relationships that you have, that God has allowed for you to be a part of, is so that we, not just you, so that we might leverage those for Him. So have conversations with others about Jesus. Ask them the question that Jesus asked. What do people say about me? What do you think about Jesus? What are you thinking about? What are your beliefs about spiritual matters as they concern Jesus? Every single person in this world worships something or someone. Every single person in the world worships something or someone. Every single person is a spiritual person. I don't really think about it. You think about something, sir. You spend your time, you spend your resources, you spend your life doing, bowing down to, paying homage to something or someone. Every single person. So start the conversations. Second, looking more personally at us, at you, and at myself, who do you say that I am? You and I are to be rooted in Scripture. You and I are to know it. We are to study it. We are to read it. We're to be able to give an account for this belief that we have. So who do you think Jesus is? Sir? Ma'am? Students. Who do you think Jesus is? Some say he's a good teacher. Let's take his sayings. Let's take his his teachings and live by some of them. Some say that he was a good man. He was a selfless man. Some say that he was crazy. He was a madman. He was a rebel, even a criminal because of how he died. The question is, who do you say that he is? Students, I nor your parents nor teachers, professors, friends can make you believe who he is. Sir, I, nor the man on the television, the woman on the television, the the preacher down the street, we cannot make you believe this or that. Or if we do make you believe this or that, the next person down the line can also make you believe that or this. The question is, who do you say that I am? And Peter got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, sir, today, ma'am, today, find out who he is. Spend time with him to find out who he is. 
If you don't know who he is, start in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things have been created by him, for him, through him. Nothing was made without him. Not only do we see this conversation and its focus, but a second point this morning leads us to the end of the book, so to speak, the end of Revelation. Turn with me there to Revelation chapter 21. And I want to read for us a few verses out of Revelation chapter 21 and also Revelation chapter 5, and I will close. The second point is this, the king is on his throne now and forevermore. The anointed one, the Christ. If we're asking what's in a name, it's that he is king. And what's he doing at this moment? This anointed one is on his throne now in the midst of our chaos. He's on the throne now and also forevermore. Revelation chapter 21, I believe I start in verse number 5 on the screen. It states this, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. Very similar to what he said on the cross, right? It is finished. Here he says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Listen to the warning. But as for the cowardly, as for the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So who is this king? The one that's seated on the throne. Who is this king? The one who says, hey, if you're thirsty, I'll, I'll come drink. Come drink of the, of the river of life without payment. It's there for you. Drink till you're satisfied. Who is this king? The one who will not allow Murderers, the one who will not allow the sexually immoral, sorcerers, and I love the qualifier, all liars to be in front of him. You know, as I read that this week, I started thinking about those points. The cowardly. It's the first one in the list. The cowardly. The faithless. The detestable. 
murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all liars. Started looking at those names, those words, and I started thinking of myself. Maybe you find yourself here. It's a big group of people. Maybe the cowardly is a qualifier for you. Maybe in 2018 you haven't opened your mouth one time to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Eleven months and 30 days, zero conversations about Jesus. Maybe you find yourself in this list as the faithless, one who has no faith, one who does not believe. If that is where you are, ma'am, if that is where you are, sir, then understand you are in this verse and the outcome of your life is away from him, which is the second death. It is hell and it is forever and ever. And then as I read this over and over again, I was reminded of what Paul wrote. Paul wrote a number of times in the letters that he wrote. I know that it's in the letters to the folks at Corinth. I believe it's in the letter to the folks at Galatia, possibly even to that at at Ephesus, where he says he writes a list similar to this, and then he says this phrase, such were some of you. Such were you, Brian. You were cowardly at one time, numerous times. You were faithless. You were detestable. You were a murderer. You're like, well, who did you murder, Brian? Well, if you look at the definition that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount, those that I'm angry at. You ever been angry at anybody? Probably there's multiple people in this room I know for sure that have been angry at me. They live in my house. Sexually immoral. Jesus defines it this way. If you look at another with intentions, with lust, you have committed the act. Sorcerers, idolaters, any of those of us who worship anything, anyone other than Christ, other than God, we are idolaters and all liars. When you were a toddler, when you were a four and five year old, nobody had to teach you to lie. It just was in you. This king, this Christ is on the throne. He is on the throne now, and he is on the throne forevermore. And he offers to all of us, come, come. But if you come, you must come on my terms. There must be faith. There must be acceptance of who I truly am. Turn back. Just a few chapters, and I'll bring our sermon this morning to a close. Reminded of 
Revelation chapter 5. John looks at this throne for the first time in Revelation 4 and 5. And as he sees this throne this first time, he hears over and over again the angelic host and chorus speaking in chapter 4 of who God is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Then let's pick up in chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. This is John speaking. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne, between the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, verse 11 states, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So what's in a name? Everything. The Christ. The Anointed One. The Messiah. 
the Savior of the world, the Lamb who was slain. What's in a name? The only one who can and would pay for your sin. My sin. You and I are so in need of a Savior. You and I have Him right in our grasp too. He is right here. He is right here, right now for you. What's in a name? As you and I close out the year. Maybe it was a great year spiritually. May 2019 be even better. May this week be even better. May today be even better. Maybe it was a terrible year. Maybe it was a terrible month, a terrible week, a terrible day. May may your focus, whether great or atrocious, may our focus either continue or start to continue to be on Him. What's in a name? The one who is willing to save you. The one who died, was buried three days later, rose from the dead, and lived so that you too might live. Father, I bow. I bow at your name. Father, I I pause again to focus on you. Ma'am, sir, no matter the age, right now, may you focus on him. I I know that I stated we'd talk about the end times, and, and I gave you a couple of passages of what's happening in the end, but it's happening right now. Those things are happening right now. Why? Because he is on the throne. And every tongue, yours and mine, Father, I know every single one of us, we will proclaim, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, I pray for these in this room. God, that we would proclaim it now so that we might spend eternity with you. Not not just to get in the door, Not just to walk through those gates, but Father, to be in your presence forever. If you don't know him today, would you? Would you just take a moment and pray? If you don't know him, would you just take a moment and pray? Right where you are, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Would you take just a moment right where you are? You say, Lord, I I don't know you. Just be honest with him. He came to seek and save the lost. Sir, ma'am, he came to, to show you how much he loves you. If you don't know him, would you just ask him to show himself to you?
you do know him as we stand and as we sing, would you once again, once again, today, focus on him. Celebrate all that he's done and worship him. Let's stand and join in as we sing.